This is the Horse Radio Network. Hi, Glenn the Geek here. We apologize for the sound issues in this week's show. We corrected those, and it should be fine next week. The content is definitely worth listening to, and I think you can get through it. It's only on Chris's end, it appears, not on the guests. So we hope you enjoy the show anyway, and we look forward to a trouble-free show next week. Thank you very much for listening. We appreciate you being there. This is episode 55 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. We would like to thank our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products. They offer supplements designed to give you the most value for your dollars. Visit them at kppusa.com. Our show planned for this week includes a segment on training in the summer heat and learning tests. Think about not wrapping their lower legs. If you've got a horse that can handle that and doesn't need the lower leg wraps on, I would, I would advise leaving them off for, for cooling purposes and to keep as dry as you can in the cooling process. This is Chris Stafford in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Heather Blitz in Folsom, Louisiana, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Heather. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Chris. It's been kind of a long time. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, I know. Well, I had, I know you had a few things going on with your move from Wellington to Louisiana, so uh, you, I think you probably had enough on your plate for a while with that move. I've had uh, enough on my plate with that. That's true. I've had a number of moves in a row, too, and... Uh, nice to once again feel like things are settling down a little bit after that and starting to get into a routine here. So how many horses do you have in Louisiana at your new training center, Heather? Well, I um, own two of my own and uh, my boyfriend has two, so we've got four, but then there are many other horses in the barn and I'm training, um, it varies how many other client horses I train per day, but I think the barn might have around 20, and it's actually another barn with about eight more, and it's a beautiful, lovely place here on about 55 acres north of New Orleans and really gorgeous um, rolling green hills with lots of live oak trees. And if you've never seen a live oak tree, you've got to see one in person. It's just the most beautiful tree, um, I think, on the planet. It's these huge branches that come down and touch the ground, and it's just such a lovely setting. So um, we, we're really happy to be here. It's Sterling Farm, and um, I've been in this area before when I lived in Louisiana, and it's um, it's really great to be back. Yeah, this is an area that you know well, and of course some of your horses come from there, don't they, from that part of the world? They do. Paragon was actually bred by Oak Hill Ranch. It's just a few miles south of where we are right now, and um, the horse I was riding... When I was in Europe also, Otto, he was bred um, actually by um, the same bloodlines bred in Pennsylvania, but then kind of used in this area. And um, Arabella, that I competed up to the Grand Prix also, was bred also at Oak So, yes, it's really seeming like I'm kind of back to back to the family here, even though I lived um, in the area for only about 12 years, but still, it still feels like home, and it's a, it's a very welcoming, friendly, nice place to be. 
Well, I am a little bit. I've never been to New Orleans. Always wanted to go, uh, but it's extremely hot and humid, and you get a huge hurricane season down there too, doesn't it? Does does that make it very difficult to train at all in the summer months? For sure. I mean, the heat is a major factor. Um, we're lucky enough to have a very nice cover over our uh, training area, and we also have these ceiling fans installed that are about 10 meters in diameter, and they spin at a pretty high rate and makes a really nice breeze in the arena, so that's a, that's a big help. Um, but you really got to watch it. You know, the heat's a big factor. Horses aren't so set up for heat and more set up for cold and just have to manage that in smart ways. I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later on the show. Um, but for the most part, the, the horses they can acclimate and you can get in a full training session. You just have to be smart about it. And um, then it really, it's, it's very doable. There, there, are, there are worse places around, worse, worse climates than this, but it's a little bit of a factor. Well, as you mentioned, we will be talking about that very topic, training in the summer heat, uh, how to deal with that. And we're also going to be talking about learning dressage tests. Uh, for those of you that are beginning your your career or your the sport of dressage and you uh, learning tests or, or maybe learning a second test. Uh, so hopefully we'll have some tips and tricks from Heather a little bit later on in the show. But I, I just want to come back to, to New Orleans because that, of course, has gone through an incredible period in recent years with the major hurricanes. And, and now, of course, with the, the Gulf oil spill, that area of the world has been sharply in focus, Heather. Do you feel any sort of ramification? Are you far enough inland to, to not have the, to be feeling the direct effect of, of all this? Oh, I think, well, the world, of course, is feeling the effect of the oil spill. Um, and it's, it's very depressing and it's, it's heartbreaking to see the, the news and the photos that are coming in now. Um, and that's just the whole Gulf um, and the rest of the world is also really going to be highly affected by that. Um, the hurricane season, yeah, I mean, everybody is um, aware of what Hurricane Katrina did to the city. And I'm actually really happy to see that I think New Orleans, since I've been gone from it for nearly four years, I've really visited and seen it. I'm really happy to see how it is just, it's thriving. And if you were to come to see now, it would be in most ways very hard for you to even tell that it had such a catastrophic event happen um, just five years ago, or not quite five years ago. So I, I'm just thrilled that the city looks like it looks. And I think that the um, the energy of the people here is very positive, especially, um, of course, winning the Super Bowl this year didn't hurt one bit at all. There's still a huge amount of positive energy from that, that really boosted the city up from that to win the football team doing so well. Um, I think the people seem, you know, positive and relaxed and definitely back on their feet again. The city is beautiful. There's just no other place like it that I've seen in the world or that I know about it. it it's an amazing city, and I really would suggest if you're a traveler, to put it on your list of destinations to come to um, at some point. It's a it's a fantastic city with just a very unique spirit to it. And I I love to get down there. I'm about 45 minutes north of it right now where the horses are, and any chance I get to go down there for another visit and just to be to be around the French Quarter and uptown and the Garden District, the city is um, 
is really a special place to be, and it's um, great food, of course. Hard to beat the cuisine in the area. Um, so bring an appetite with you, and uh, just a you know a readiness to relax and have a great vacation. It's a wonderful place to be. Now, do you, are you feeling already the effect of the the oil spill on, say, the food like the, the seafood, which is, of course is it's so famous for its seafood in that area? Is that already being felt in the area? I think it is. Um, the places that I've been just recently, really just within a few days, last few days have some places have had just the menu and everything tastes the same. And in some places the menu is a little more limited. The oysters seem to be smaller, the more expensive. Um, you know, some people have just some have had to just take some of the seafood off the menu. Um, mostly, I think right now the price—it's the prices are going up. And I think very shortly they're going to really be in in short um, supply of seafood. But it's it's you know it's starting to hit, and it's I mean everybody knows it's coming, and it's more the feeling right now that that the shortage is just around the corner. Um, so and also the people are trying to get all the last seafood that they can eat um, right now because of, because they know it's going to be in such short supply very soon. So there's kind of a scramble to get what's left, and uh, you know to, the prices are doubling, and it's all very sad. Yeah, it's very shocking, and I know we've we've been watching those images um, around the world um, following the story of the Gulf spill and oil spill, and. And seeing the effect that it's had on the wildlife too in the area, I know you you're a, a, a photographer, a, 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 some, a, something of a hobby for you, and and I know that you've been out to, to areas of uh, of what were beautiful wildlife ha- habitation. And how far are you from the wetlands and from seeing the effects of the oil spill in your area, Heather? It would take me probably two and a half hours, really, to get down there in the areas where you would start to see the the effects. Um, and, yeah, at some point that might be really uh, a, a valuable thing to go do is take my camera and try to get some up-close-and-personal um, feelings and experiences and pictures um, to have it's just that I'd have to really get my brave suit on and go do it because I know it would not be an easy thing to do. But it's about uh, two and a half hours really. It's um, New Orleans is uh, you know coastal, but then again it's not. There's a lot of land that it's it's kind of you think of New Orleans as being on the coast, but it isn't. There's a lot south of there, and I think that's about an hour drive from the city, and we're 45 minutes from there, so. Um, it's a little ways, but should look into doing that. Well, good. I know I always enjoy your photographs, and you uh, have a page on your website, so anybody who's interested in some beautiful photography, check out Heather's photographs there at heatherblitz.info. Um, well, I have to tell you I have one disappointment before we get into the show and to the news this week, Heather. What's that? Well, I have my money on Samantha Stoza winning the French Open Tennis Championships at Roland Garros last weekend. I really thought she was going to make it. And then she got beaten by the Italian uh, Schiavone. Uh, for the first time, an Italian has won a Grand Slam. So, I mean, good for her. But, you know, when you're rooting for somebody, you know what that's like. Oh, well, I hope that you're going to be okay about that. <laughs> was it a good match? Was it well-deserved? Oh, very much so. Yeah, you know, and a good sporting competition is hard to beat, isn't it, no matter what the sport is? 
Absolutely. It can be a little exciting, but yes, an upset is, is sometimes hard to take. Maybe you can get a good book and a cup of good tea or something and go make yourself feel better. <laughs> <laughs> well, before you know it, we're going to be at Wimbledon for the next Grand Slam, and uh, that'll that'll be interesting to see whether she uh, she continues, you know, with her with the, the kind of play that she had on the clay in Roland Garros. And you know, I follow tennis as you as you know. I love my tennis. Yes, you mentioned it often. Yes, yeah. I, I, I really enjoy a good match too. Well, you know, I, I don't think I'd get the other side of the net to you because I think you, you know, with your height advantage of six feet over five feet nine, uh, you know, I don't think I'd ever return your serves. Oh, I don't know. We'll just have to give it a try. When you come visit New Orleans, we'll we'll make it a point to go play a little tennis. All right, and have some good Cajun food. Well, that that's fun, and I look forward to that, Heather. And uh, we we got a big show on here this week, so I think we should get to the news already. And of course, last weekend was the CDI Four Star in um, Germany, and, and the freestyle there was won by our friend Ashley Holzer, the Canadian rider who's been on the show here, of course, with her. Uh, faithful partner Popart, they won that on a 76.3, just ahead of L- Laura Bechtelsheimer, who has also been a guest here on the show. She came in second with Andretti H on 76.18. She also won the special on Mistral Horace, beating uh, Isabel Verth on Satchmo. And in third place in the freestyle was Ellen Schultenbaumer with Donatha S. So uh, all the results there from Lingen will be available as a link from our website, of course. And there was another um, CDI. This was a CDI three-star at Allentown in New Jersey at the end of May, uh, where Canadian Diana Creech of Casa Centre Ontario won the freestyle there, riding Devon L. She won with the 10-year-old Anavarian Gelding. They scored 70%. So congratulations to... All of those and those wins, uh, it, it, the season's really ramping up now, Heather, and I know um, a lot of the Canadian riders were over in Europe with um, trainer and chef to keep, uh, Robert Dover. They sure are really doing well. I mean, I'm so proud of Ashley. That's a tough competition there at Lingen, and she just rose right to the top like, in such fine style so often, and that's um, it's an amazing company to have, have topped the the year. So proud of Ashley for that, um, and um, congratulations to Diane at Allentown. That's a good score, a really nice horse, and yeah, it's a very exciting time, right, building up to the wag, and um, I really hope to get to, to Gladstone to see the selection trials. Are you going to be able to get up there for that, Chris? I'm, I'm not sure, Heather. Um, I have to just look at the schedule, you know, because the season gets so busy now. There are so many places I could be. So, uh, yeah, I haven't quite decided yet, so uh, maybe, maybe meet you up there. Well, talk so, then you have a... I'm sorry, go ahead. A bit of a, a bit of news from Gothenburg, Sweden. We do. Talking about the World Equestrian Games, which, of course, uh, takes place here in Kentucky in the fall, and uh, then in four years' time it goes to France to be held in Normandy. Well, we've just heard that the Swedish city of Gothenburg wants to bring the Games back to Sweden. Of course, it was first held there. The first World Equestrian Games took place in Stockholm in 1990. And now Gothenburg, the other Swedish city, which is known for a wonderful show that they hold there, um, they have the support of the Swedish Equestrian Federation to uh, place a bid to host the 2018 World Equestrian Games. So we'll be following that story with interest. And that's an area of the world you know well, of course, Heather, from when you were based in Denmark. 
Well, yes, I do. And I actually did the, the CDI there in Gothenburg and one of the years that I was competing over there. And I also have a bit of a tie to that city because my father's parents were born in that city. So I have I have uh, some family roots in Gothenburg. So I would love it if it was there and have another excuse to go back and uh, see that wonderful city again. When I showed there myself, it was in the middle of a blizzard, so we didn't really get out um, and look around, but it doesn't matter at the show because it was, of course, all indoor. But I would love to have another chance to go see the city and um, look up some possible relatives that I would be able to connect with, and that'd be fun. That would be great fun, absolutely. And, you know, having lived in the area, you probably pronounce that correctly too. Don't they go call it Jürtenberg or something in that area? It really depends on, on what language you're speaking when you, when you say the name of that city. But um, I think the Swedes would say Jutebor. Jutebor, okay. I hope that's right. I hope that's right. But that's where my father pronounces it, so I'm going by his pronunciation. Well, you said that beautifully, and I, 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 will, I will take that as an authoritative pronunciation. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're going to talk about the subject we mentioned earlier on in the show, about training in the summer heat and how to deal with that. But before we get to that, we're going to take a short break to hear from our friends at Kentucky Performance Products. Regular listeners to the show know that we love Kentucky Performance Products. And that's an easy thing to do because Kentucky Performance Products stand behind their products and they believe in them. Your complete satisfaction is guaranteed. If you are unsatisfied with any of their products, they will gladly refund your money. Does your horse or pony get fat on air alone? Is he living in a dry lot or turned out with a muzzle? Can't feed him more than a handful of grain and some hay? Then you need microphase. Microphase is a great way to ensure your horse or pony gets all of the nutrients he needs to stay healthy without adding calories to his diet. Microphase contains the vitamins and trace minerals not found in grass or hay, and your horse will eat it right out of your hand. You can learn more about microphase and all of the products from Kentucky Performance Products by visiting kppusa.com. That's kppusa.com. Check out Microphase. Well, Heather, you mentioned the heat and humidity down in Louisiana, and, of course, you had it hot in, in, in Florida. And, you know, over the years, I've trained horses in very, very hot temperatures too. And I remember in uh, Italy, on the east coast of Italy in the summer, we would ride the horses, we'd get up at 4 o'clock and ride the horses, and everybody would be finished by 9 o'clock in the morning. That, you know, we'd just get the barn, get them all back in the barn, you know, ridden and hosed, and, and so they would be quiet and in the shadows there for the rest of the day because it was just too hot to work them during the day. So how do you cope with that, with your schedule? You've got, a, you've got all those horses to ride, and you can't do them all before 9 o'clock in the morning, I'm sure. No, and of course the sun is a big factor. And if you have, if you if you don't have a way to ride without being in the direct sun, yeah, you, you've got to be done by that time of the morning or starting up again as soon as the sun is at a lower in the horizon um, in the afternoon. But um, you know, here we've got a, like I said, a nice covered arena. So the fact that we're not under direct sun makes uh, makes it possible to ride in other parts of the day. Um, and we have the fans also that that help a whole lot on keeping the air moving around the horses so they can cool off after. And there's also a sort of viewpoint that lifts a little bit by around 10 o'clock in the morning. So sometimes 10 o'clock in the shade is a better time to ride than, say, 8 or 9, so that 
you might look in your area when the dew point is lighter and that's um, there's less moisture in the air and actually makes it cooler. But, um, you know, of course, the, the temperature is an obvious thing. I have um, a real belief also in, in how you might dress your horse, and I try to stay away as much as I can from putting anything on my horse's lower legs for training because um, I'm not a believer that you can really protect a horse's tendons. If that's why you're putting on boots or wraps or some kind of bandage around your horse's leg, I'm just not convinced. Um, and also through research, of course, that I've read by scientists looking into it, that the vertical fibers in the horse's soft tissue or the, the suspensory ligaments and the flexor things that are often wrapped in order to protect, um, the wraps are going in a horizontal pressure and the ligaments are in a vertical pressure. So just realizing that or learning that, um, I'm not one that will wrap my horse's legs for the tendon support that a lot of um, riders might do. And I think that the damage of heating up the horse in the lower leg is is a higher risk than, say, um, you know, the risks that you're taking by not wrapping the leg. So I like to keep my horse's lower legs uh, unwrapped because that is such a huge area of um, or surface area that they can cool. And if you wrap that, of course, it makes them hotter. So I would rather keep their legs unwrapped. Um, and unless, of course, they interfere or you have things in your arena that you don't want them to hit, there's a reason to put boots on, something like that. But make sure that they're, you know, with cooling in mind. Maybe you've got some boots that take the sweat away and, you know, some technology like that. Um, another thing, too... Remember, I mean, not only that you take a lot of breaks and let your horse kind of recuperate in between training sets, but also then when you are finished and you're going to try to start the cooling out process, you take as much of the track off as you can, um, walk them quite a bit. As long as the walking is not in the direct sun and you do have some air movement that will, you know, have a chance of the horse actually cooling down. If not, just stick them in front of a fan, let them stand in front of it until they stop breathing as heavily. And hose them off, of course. And once you hose them off, make sure to scrape that water off of them because the longer the water stays on, it sort of puts this insulating layer around them and it actually holds more heat in. Um, I mean, you can also take a sweat scraper with you to the arena and every now and then scrape the sweat off so they have a better chance of evaporating the heat off of their body too. So um, get the water off of them as soon as you can. Um, Things like liniments and just pure rubbing alcohol um, on them also evaporate a lot quicker than water. And that's a smart way also to keep them where they can evaporate as much heat as quickly off of them as you can. So those are my two pieces of main advice is to think about not wrapping their lower legs if you've got a horse that, um, you know, can can handle that and um, doesn't need the lower leg wraps on, I would, I would advise leaving them off for, for cooling purposes and to, you know, keep as dry as you can in the cooling process. Do you have anything else that you might think of in managing the heat curves? Well, I think the cooling off is really important, doesn't it? I mean, and, and watching if a horse is getting distressed because of the heat. We know when you're working him too, you know, to just to read those signs and, and find a way, you know, just to go call him a little bit uh, rather than just being persistent and thinking, oh, well, I only want to do this, I only want to do that, and then I'll be done. 
because they could be just getting distressed from the heat as well, couldn't they, just while they're working, if they're working intensely? Oh, sure, yeah. They could. They need even more oxygen in, and if you know, if they start almost, you know, such a high respiration rate that it's almost like panting. I mean, that's a for sure sign to take the temperature. You know, the cooling. Um, really spend some time, five ten minutes, just set up a fan somewhere you can park in front of. Uh, make sure they don't work in that kind of a of a distress, and then you know, take small sets and lots of breaks. Now, do you use ice to cool them down at all? Do you have carry a bag of ice if you need um, to, to help them cool down quickly, Heather? I, I definitely do. I have a, a freezer nearby, so it's easy to have, you know, a number of pairs of ice boots in. Um, if a horse really gets overheated, of course, you can line their back all the way from their tail up to their withers, even on their neck with ice boots it's a great way to get the temperature down if you you know if they really go overboard and they're and they've gotten way too hot definitely get ice all over them and the lower legs too i ice my horse's legs after every workout just as a principle to get the tendon temperatures as cool as possible because that's just a matter of the cooler the tendon the healthier the tendon so it's just a practice i have to ice legs after workouts anyway but especially in um hotter climates and hotter times of the year so that's a great suggestion ice boots how about ice under the tail i've never done that sometimes that that can cool them down you know that's uh that's a one place that uh, seems to be a, a hot spot literally no pun intended um and <laughs> and you can cool them down um, quickly, um, there are various ways that are, that are used, of course, with the um, uh, endurance horses, the event horses. They they do all the things that you said, you know, ice and cooling fans and that kind of thing. But so much, not so much in the event in the dressage world do we consider those implications of the of the heat. So I think this is a very worthwhile discussion, Heather. And not only when they're working, but once you've once you've cooled them down. And cool them down before you, as much as you can before you go back to the barn and wash them down, hose them down and cool them off. But then when you're walking, be careful when you go out walking them in the sun that they, that they can get burnt with the heat on, their, on them whilst they're still wet. Yeah, I just like to get them as dry as possible after you cool them. I mean, that, that, they, can, they can burn from that. They, the, the, the more moisture on their skin really holds in the heat anyway. So mm-hmm. I always brace mine with a, some kind of an alcohol rub that really evaporates much quicker and it, and it dries much quicker so they don't, they don't keep that insulating layer of moisture on them. Absolutely. Well, good advice. And, of course, you know, the barns with plenty of ventilation is also very important too, isn't it, Heather, this time of year? Yes, of course. Um, in the south, it's hard to find barns that are totally enclosed anyway because we just don't need the the capacity to stay warm as much as we do the capacity to stay cold. But um, a lot of barns are enclosed and get those windows open. Make sure that the you know the more the roof has a as an out for all the heat that collects at the top. All those are really smart uh, smart tips yep. for sure. Keep yeah. those fans going. Yeah. And replace your fans every year because, you know, the longer you get the dust build up and, um, you know, the older they get, the more they can become fire hazards. So just also make sure you really check your fans in your barn and, and make sure they're working properly. And I would suggest getting rid of the older fans if you can um, and replace them with new ones as often as you can. Very good. Well, great advice. Thank you, Heather, for that. And 
We're going to take a short break here to hear from Glenn. And when we come back, um, Heather and I are going to talk about learning tests. Well, Heather, learning test is something we all have to do if we're going to compete, and there are various ways to, to learn, and obviously piece by piece, it's like learning a, a piece of music, I guess. You you know, you don't learn it all in one go, do you? No. Um, whether it's lower level or upper level, I think that's, um, yeah, you've got to, it's, it's one way to pick it apart and learn it in little pieces, huh? There's so many tricks to doing this, and people have different ways of memorizing um, tests, don't they? Yeah, they do. Um, of course, I can just tell you about sort of some of the ways I do it. Now, so what tri tricks do you have? And what, and what was it like when, do you remember when you started off? And we, I mean, some people are overwhelmed by, by numbers. Some people are overwhelmed by the, the letters. Uh, how did you absorb that information and, and learn the test <clears throat> efficiently? Well, I've always been overwhelmed by memorization. I've always just kind of psyched myself out of being able to use my memory because I was afraid that I wouldn't. So um, it, it was a, that was the biggest challenge for me. So the, the fewer details I had to remember, the better. And the more I could turn the test into pictures rather than words on the paper that described the test, the better it was for me. So... Of course, whatever level you're going to compete, it's really, I think, a good idea, or what I would try to do is at least be pretty um, aware or knowing what that level entails, what sort of figures, what sort of difficulty you're going to be required. So let's say you're going to go from training level to first level, and now you've got these new tests to learn. Um, what you should realize first is that first level starts to have lengthenings in the trough lengthenings in the canter, your circles start to be 15 meters instead of 20, and that you might have, um, and pardon me for not knowing if I haven't shown first level in a while, I don't know what the tests have, so, but, but just know like what, what happens in first level that doesn't happen in training level, for instance. And, you know, realizing kind of that most tests have a mirror image, so if you do something to the right, you're going to be doing it to the left, also at some point in the test. Um, and then I just like to take maybe the first half of the test and get it as a picture in my mind, you know, what it's going to look like from my perspective when I go in the ring, that I know my circles are going to be in the middle of the ring or they're going to be at, at by the judge or they're going to be at the other end. Um, know where they're going to be in trot, know where they're going to be in canter. Um and, you know, then just start kind of start in, think about them when I'm not riding, of course, think about them when I am and, and run through the test maybe a half at a time and not try to do the whole thing all at once and then maybe put it together um, when I've got them where, I, where I'm not worried about memorizing it anymore, put the whole test together. And then Does that sound like something? Yes, that sounds like a system, definitely. And I, you know, I think that that is often the case. You know, we're overwhelmed. If you're, I'm a little bit numerically dyslexic, and I really have a hard time remembering numbers. 
or you know you know and i think people do and it's a way it's a way of you have to visualize it don't you as you describe there's just there are certain ways of committing it to memory uh without being overwhelmed by it and and not you know not expecting to do the whole thing at one time just break it down into segments yeah, that, that's the way I do it. And, and memorizing numbers or maybe even memorizing letters, you can look at the dressage arena and see those, uh, what is it, 12 letters. Uh, I mean, I can rattle them off now because I've been doing this long enough that, you know, just by default they're in my head. <laughs> but I didn't sit down and look at the dressage arena and say, okay, I have to know that A is here. I have to know that that um, F is there and P is there. You can just know that there are letters in the middle of the short side. There are letters in the middle of the long side. And then you have your corner letters, and then you have the other four. Um, it's kind of how uh, I thought about it when I was really trying to think about a system to memorize test. And rather than thinking that it has to be at letter P, I just think, well, it's at that middle letter. Um, or, you know, one of the, the four letters, the R, S, and V, and P, those are the ones that only happen in the large arena, but not the small, the short arena. Um, or if I know it has to happen in the corner letter by the judge, you know, rather than having to know that it's F or that it's K or that it's M, uh, that really worked for me. So I didn't panic about which exact letter or in your case, it was numbers that you couldn't memorize, you know, not having to know that the name of the letter, just the area in the arena where, where I'd have to touch the marker on that, on the tracks that really helped me a lot too. And then just having it just sort of a geometric picture of the arena, I think, um, made it less, less overwhelming to have to think of words and letters, but rather, figures and structures and just a sort of a geometric picture of it. And of course there are, there are techniques now that are new and available in, such as audio um, audio references that so you can listen to the test, you can write it and listen to it. And that's one way of, of memorizing it. Of course in the, some tests you, you can have somebody call those tests um, but that gets to yeah. a point where you can't so you have to eventually memorize them. Uh, yeah, there are many that's right. ways to do it. To, to do it, and I think, you know, the other point, Heather, I think, with um, maybe younger riders or inexperienced or amateur riders, or who are not doing this very often, they may begin and they may start to learn their first test, and then they've got to put it all together. But then uh, you get to the competition and the anticipation and the nerves set in, and it, you may well have a bit of stage fright too. So you've got to overcome those kind of hurdles along the way. That's all part of the game, isn't it? Oh, completely. And you know what? I don't think there's any way to say that you can avoid those steps where other people haven't had to. I think that that's so normal. And that the only way to get around it or get through it is to um, just realize that you're in the same boat as everybody else. And everybody goes up front of line when they're inexperienced and starting out. And everybody has the same nerves. And even the judge in the judge's box sitting there watching you and writing down all the critiques is realizing that that's a factor, too. And and it's just sort of human nature. I mean, you're out there to show off what you've been working on for months and months, and it's a lot of pressure on you on a personal level and maybe also a public level. And it's just what happens to us. And it will subside if you make it a positive experience every time you try make it as positive as you can and just realize that's the reason we go out and you know half of it is being able to pull it all together at the same moment and that is no easy task 
Um, so the nerves are realistic and there's a reason for them. And, you know, they, it just as long as it doesn't sideline you, you just realize that it's a, it's a challenge that you've got to learn by, you know, entering the show. That's that's a lot of the lesson you're learning. So get out there and do it and, and just practice it until it starts to become more comfortable. And it, and it really does. You know, if you keep it positive, it does become more comfortable every time you do it. Yeah, it's like me with my forehand, you know, my backhand rather. If, you know, I just keep practicing, eventually it gets more comfortable. But, you know, it's the anticipation. It's not dissimilar, Heather, because I, it's my weakness is my backhand. Okay, I'm giving that away now. So if we play, you'll know, you're, you know, that's the call. That's the <laughs> I know where to serve, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same kind of anxiety. I know it's my weak point. So I go into a stroke thinking, oh, damn, I'm going to, you know, mess this up and I'm going to put it straight into the net. And you build up this sort of psychological anxiety, which really, it shouldn't be there. You just go ahead and do it, you know, and don't worry about it. And it, and it will be what it will be, you know, and you will get through it. And, uh, and you have to remember, you do it for fun, right? Well, absolutely. And that the challenge, all those challenges, that's what you do it for, to get over the, the hardest parts of it. And then how much time and practice that takes, it's all a great part of it. And I think they, they, they tell you to enjoy the journey, don't they? And whatever sort of thing you're taking on as your challenge and the thing that you're learning, it's a it's really a great part of it. And see how hard you work and see your hard work pay off, that's great. Yes, it, it certainly is. So be persistent. Just keep practicing, practice, practice at home and get to the competition confident that you know your test and you're going to give it your best shot and, and come away with a smile on your face. I mean, that's the whole point of it, isn't it, Heather? You know, even when we might be a bit disappointed with the, the way the test went, we, we, we're going to have learned something from it. Absolutely. And, I mean, those of you who are listening who are less experienced and um, listening to me and thinking, well, I've got lots of experience, it's easy for me to talk about it, it happens at all levels, at a, you know, whatever level of professional or amateur that you're riding. It's, it's just a, it's a thing for me, too, in my international competition when I'm out there. And it's a, it's a challenge for us all. And um, it's just part of it. And it, it has to be fun at all levels, at all you know, degrees of competition. However serious it is, it's got to be fun for everybody, hopefully. Absolutely. Well, again... Uh... We hope that was helpful, and as always, you can reach us uh, by emailing us with any questions or comments, and I will send those over to Heather. Just send me an email, chris at horseradionetwork.com. Well, Heather, uh, we're coming just about to the end of our show this week, but uh, I know you want to remind everyone how they can follow us here at the Dressage Radio Show, so why don't you uh, give them a lowdown? Yep, there are a number of ways. You can find our show notes on the website at Dressage. Radio.com. You can also visit our fan pages on Facebook, Dressage Radio, uh, Chris Stafford and me, Heather Blitz, and also Paragon. He has his own fan page on Facebook. You can search for that. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at Horse Radio, and Chris Stafford and Heather Blitz, all on Twitter. And you can also contact Chris at Chris at HorseRadioNetwork.com. And for any questions, comments, feedback at all, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave a voicemail at phone number 
Terrific. Thanks, Heather. And again, I want to thank our sponsors, as always, for making the show possible, and our backstage crew, Glenn the Geek and Brian, for turning the show around every week. And also, I want you to remind you to visit the other shows here on the Horse Radio Network. We have altogether eight shows now, uh, not least of all the 2010 radio show, which is all about the world equestrian games. Check that out if you want to catch up with news of what's happening in preparation for the World Equestrian Games, which takes place in Kentucky, of course, this September. Go to 2010radioshow.com, where Glenn the Geek and Samantha Clark will give you the lowdown every week on the 2010 Radio Show. Well, that's about it for this week, Heather. I'm so glad you could join us. It was nice to catch up with you again, and uh, I look forward to playing tennis with you sometime. But now, are you doing anything for fun in the uh, next few days? No, I'm going to go be uh, teaching a clinic in uh, Salt Lake City or in the area a little bit away from the city. That's the clinic I'll be doing and um, looking forward to that. And otherwise, just, you know, still going on with a nice solid training routine here and um, kicking back and enjoying being here in the Big Easy Terrific. Well, it sounds like you're going to have some fun as well. I want to thank you again so much for being part of the Dressage Radio Show. Always fun to have you here. Well, I will be back here the same time, same place next week. So until then. Thanks for listening and remember to practice safe riding by always wearing your helmet.